But uh, welcome back, uh, of course, Day Ghost and Milton. This is Haven of Horror. Again, Aust uh, Day Ghost, Austin, whatever you want to be called. Uh, appreciate you volunteering to help help out with this. And you know, we got a we got a special guest star this week. He won't be coming back, but he's we got a special guest. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, so last week. Uh, so, so last week, uh, Austin and I each decided to pick a movie for the other to watch. I ended up picking Repo the Genetic Opera, and he picked They Live. Uh, so that should fix that audio issue. So, did you guys know that Zydrate comes in a little glass vial? A little glass vial? Yeah. And then Austin ruined it. A little glass vial. Okay, so I I took these I took notes in the order that I watched the movies. So I watched Repo first because obviously that's the one I know. Since this is Austin's first viewing, I want to just first get Austin's impressions of Repo the Genetic Opera. Oh God, um, <laughs> very very strange, uh, <laughs> but but quite good. I I feel like I need to watch it again though because I had like a wonky first viewing because I had a bit of a rough day. So when I watched uh -huh. it, I was just a little like kind of off, but I enjoyed it uh, when I watched it. Okay, okay. Uh, and then Milton, what what is your kind of what do you feel about Repo? Like, how do you like it? So it's so uh, the first viewing that I had was uh, a few years ago when I was working at a certain place that I'm not going to name for reasons. Um, a friend gave it to me in a DVD. Had to clean it off, but um, through viewing that. It was definitely not a normal movie because not only are you coming out of the fact that this is a horror movie, but it's also a musical and it's sci-fi. Sometimes the mix of that is always going to be strange. Not it's a good movie, but it's definitely not a conventional one. So, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I discovered this movie shortly after it came out. Well. I should say my my dad discovered it uh, because the guy that plays Pavi, the one who wears women's faces, yeah. he is in an industrial band called Skinny Puppy that my dad is a big fan of. And the director of this was also involved with the Saw films, which me and my dad were big fans of, which I'm going to make Austin watch eventually because we are going to cover those. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about a Nivek uh, Ogre? Yes. Yeah. I don't. Ogre is what he goes by professionally. I don't know how Ogre. to pronounce it. I, I, Ask the day ghost here. It's Canadian, so. Uh, hold on. I, I, will, I will look this up. Yeah, let, yeah let's, let's play Mawson for everything Canadian. Well, while, he's, while he's doing that, and um, of course, my fa the weirdest thing about this that's also the coolest is how many, like, talented people they got. People that, like, have been in stuff. Yeah. On the flip side the weirdly untalented people that were also cast for this as well in the direction that the director took with this one. Um, I mean, Hilton. I guess, yeah, pretty much. Paris Hilton is the elephant in the room, but it, she... I, I like her in this her. movie. So it, the direction was had to have been decent for her not to be... Or mm -hmm. at least for her obnoxious persona to actually be used as an asset. And I, I gotta give her props. She has no like shame with this material. She's yeah. embracing it. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably being too harsh on Paris Hilton. I don't know her personally. <laughs> but, you know. Well, it was weird because she was in that House of Wax remake, which I like quite a bit as well. And then this, and then, like, nothing else that I know of horror-wise. I don't know if she just was done after Repo or... Hollywood-wise stuff. <laughs> well, past the box office earnings of Repo, I would imagine a lot of people were yeah. not exactly encouraged. Well, yeah, yeah, I just so. found found that on here. This movie had a budget of $8.5 million and it only made $188. $1,126. Yeah, you talk about box office bombs. This was a nuclear bomb. Yeah. yeah and it's a shame, because this is... Like, the weirdness aside, it's just such an original, like, idea that exists now on film. Yeah. And you, you got a lot of support from the uh, the author of the stage play. The, mm. the co-author is the narrator, essentially. You know, the dealer. Mm. Um, um. I think his name is... Um, Shoot. I forget. I forget that's his my, name. He's in the that's press. my favorite uh, playwright. Zaren, Shoot. Zaren Sedunik. Sorry. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but He's then, of course, you... Of the stage oh. Play. oh, interesting. I have to look into that. But you've also got, you know, like Alexa Vega, who I think is really good. Anthony Stewart Head. What uh, Milton's going to make fun of me here for, but Austin knows what I'm going to say. It's Giles from Buffy. Well, I was going to make fun of you for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. We're both coming out. Right. We, the, oh we wait, already talk, we already talked about this. Damn it! And I already and I already made fun of you for it. So yeah, and, and you know I have to say, ever since uh, Austin, ever since we watched the pilot on Discord, like I've just been not thinking that nothing but Buffy. Like I'm pretty sure I'm getting on people's nerves, but it's like it was like watching the show for the first time. But that's a discussion for another day. Um, yeah, but back to Alexa Vega. I'm surprised how well she does, considering some of, I guess, considering her experience. She's she was never like a bad actor, in my opinion. Just based mm -hmm. on the experience that she had before, this is definitely an interesting turn that her career took. Mm -hmm. And then the unfortunate fallout that it took from the box office failings in this movie. Yeah, I. We get her in Spy Kids four. So how embarrassing. So I guess she wanted to keep going with that franchise after being a child star for a while. So my biggest weak spot. No, they made a fourth one. Nobody yeah, cared. Not, not a lot of people knew, but it's it's there. So I don't know about you guys, but for me, the biggest weak spot of this movie is uh, basically the bad guy. Uh, what's his name? The the head of the company. Whatever. Yeah. Roddy Largo. Yeah, like. His singing voice is just not good. Or at least it just doesn't fit with this material. I don't know which. The scenes with him suffer a bit in some ways based on the pacing. The the stylistic form of this film, where it's it's not just trying to be a stage play in a movie at the same time, it's also trying to be a comic book too. Yeah. Or at least take elements of that for transitions between set pieces. Sometimes a set sometimes the comic sections and the actual singing portions actually, they overlap on each other unnecessarily, and some information is just duplicated sometimes within the same minute. So that's another weakness of that as well, unfortunately. Um, I can't praise the singing either, unfortunately. Um, he's trying. I, I actually like his presence as an actor on the set pieces that he's in, but the singing doesn't work. 
Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, I had the same thing with the singing. I also maybe it's just because I've like just started watching Buffy recently, but I also found his singing a little weird. But I think that's just because I'm just used to that guy in a different role. Wait, wait till you get further in Buffy. <laughs> oh God, he's gonna start singing some more. <laughs> yeah. Well, he uh he actually was like a was a singer for the or bleh. a big part of his career was singing before Buffy. Uh, like there's yeah, videos he, on he's YouTube. He's a good singer. It was just it was like whoa. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> well, it's really weird when you're coming from Buffy, like you said, and he's kind of just the the father figure, upstight, uh, uptight British guy, and then this, he's a fucking monster. <laughs> like, um, the rock opera genre is it's a weird one just by itself. Not mm-hmm. only add that, but there are very few of them. So handling the singing within a rock opera with this is a little... I mean, just, there are some other really good songs in this movie. They are still strange, because mm-hmm. rock operas are not common. Yeah. And it's not a very well-tread territory to film. Well, and this this movie soundtrack has been like a mainstay on my Spotify since, since I got a Spotify account. Yeah, and there's good direction from the stage play in which a lot of the songs were written. And they work really well for the most I, part. I always Brian. go back and forth between um, um, "Legal Assassin," which is Nathan's big intro song, and uh, "Zydrate Anatomy," which, of course, is the Zydrate goes in a little glass vial. I'm not even going to try to pretend that I can say it in rhythm <laughs> to that song, but uh, as my favorite. Although "Mark It Up" always gets the most laughs out of me. Yeah, same here. Uh, what do you think, Austin? What's your favorite? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Probably the little glass vial one because that had had me laughing. <laughs> so basic. I know. I, I am a basic. <laughs> at least I say. At least he remembers this one. We did the yeah. Bye Bye Man last week, and he was just like, I don't know. Because yeah. well, it was the Bye Bye, bye Man. man. <laughs> I know. Sorry. That was... Sorry. Don't think it. Don't say it. Good. Yeah. Don't forgotten. No. Bye. So. The only so, thing that I remember from that is the guy drinking the uh, gasoline because <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be him while watching it. <laughs> so one of the other my other favorite parts is Bill Mosley in this movie because he's having so much fun. Um, as... Bill Mosley is always great. Yeah. And yeah. it's really funny because the two main movies I know him from are this and The Devil's Rejects. Which I love that movie a lot. I know Rob Zombie's not not really like a popular topic amongst horror fans, but I think that is his best movie. Uh, it depends on what you're talking about with Rob Zombie. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I and I like early Rob Zombie. Like I know the first the his first Halloween remake is kind of fifty fifty. I fall on the side of liking it, but I also think that was his last good movie. Uh, everything after that has just been like, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> Please. Yeah, and I've only seen uh, that House of a Thousand Corpses and uh, Devil's Rejects, so I don't even yeah. know if I could really speak to his filmography as a whole. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll do some Rob Zombie later on. I, I'm gonna enjoy. I'm gonna enjoy making you watch some of these movies. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> guys, yeah. if if Austin quits, it's my fault. <laughs> Damn it, great. But yeah. Uh... But yeah, the um, the, f- the family cast is interesting with the film and how and how the different sections of like 
high society degeneracy is uh, portrayed. You kind of get a you kind of get the full gambit with uh, you know Hilton and the brothers um, with her dad. It's definitely an interesting take that the film goes with even the father just being disenfranchised mm-hmm. with uh, his offspring. It, yeah. So it's definitely an interesting way to go rather than just portray as a lot of movies that I see where the father is just completely illusioned. Because in that state, you as a father would say, oh, I want to provide for my children. I want to make sure that they have the best life possible. And then, of course, you see the other side of it where the father like hates his children because it's like, oh no, I've done that, and now my children are spoiled to the point of insanity. Yeah, well, and that's my favorite thing about this is normally it, they play the dad as an asshole for not liking his kids. But I can completely understand why this dad doesn't like his kids because they're all nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a combination of like a, like the double-edged sword of the American dream mm-hmm. and um, the thought just left my head. Um, shoot. See, see, Milton came here to like analyze this film thematically and we're just like yeah it was fun <laughs> well you needed some direction on these podcasts so you know yeah um but Anyways, just <laughs> but just real quick uh since austin is watching the chat is it is anything in the chat about repo um okay yeah we got some people in the chat we got we got a bag a josh and a noah uh, hey guys uh, <laughs> Noah says the repo is probably more memorable uh, than Bye Bye Man. It is absolutely more memorable than Bye Bye Man. That is the coldest take I've ever heard. (laughs) And Bag says he loves Matchbox 20. What? Um, Okay. Hi, Bag. Thanks for stopping by. Zombie music is pretty cool, and Bag says he loves Matchbox 20. Okay, I will agree. Matchbox Twenty to the film that I'm not, that I didn't realize. Um, I don't think so. I think bags just being bag. bag. (laughs) But in all seriousness, bag and Josh, thank you guys for stopping by. It's always good to see you. Uh, Josh, I agree. I'm a big fan of Rob Zombie's music. Uh, at least his early stuff. I don't think I've ever even heard his music, to be honest. It's probably, like, in his movies, and I just don't remember. You've had to have heard, like, Dragula, though. That's his, like, everyone's heard it song. Maybe if I heard it, yeah. I'll send it to you after the show. Um, Another tangentially related topic with uh, filmmakers and music when we talk about the next one as well. Yeah. With John Carpenter, certainly. Oh, hell yeah. But that'll be a future (laughs) thing that we'll talk about later. So... The one of the first notes I wrote down, other than just I love the setup for this movie and just how batshit crazy it is, that if you miss a payment on your organs, they could come repossess them <laughs> in the I, most like painful way possible. I think that's brilliant. They mm. should have gone with the marketing for that even stronger. Well, thing is, I don't think marketing was an issue with this film so much as it just I don't I don't know what happened with the. Well, I might be real one day. Yeah, I I feel like they threw an eight million. I think they. I feel like they threw eight million dollars at a movie meant for like I don't know, like me, like a very niche audience. I don't think there was ever a chance that this was going to do well at the box office. Well, well, 
well, sometimes when you appeal to a niche audience and you market it well enough, when a film specializes in something and does it well, people mm-hmm. will recognize it for that, be interested in the, this genre, mm-hmm. you know, specific example, and go to see it for that reason. So it's not, not always a, a formula for failure. Well, sometimes was this it is, uh... but it, de- it depends on where the lightning strikes. In this was case. was this a wide release? I I. I didn't I'm see this sure. until it was on DVD. Um, um, I know it's Lionsgate, and Lionsgate's one of those companies where I like, I'm like, oh, they made this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not also, I've never put out. So, Austin, so I just noticed your shirt. Oh, it was a That's limited great. Release. Yeah, it oh, was okay. a limited release. Um, oh, they cool. concurrently, they concurrently did a road show. As promotion for the film. Oh, interesting. So, and yeah, they did basically a rogue version of this and actually played it in like several cities. So, oh, that'd be super cool. Yeah, it's also a super bummer afterwards. Got, I can't imagine just putting all that effort in after writing after writing a play and then releasing the film version and then doing the play as promotion for that film version and the film bombs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's rough. One of my favorite moments is towards the beginning. It's the the grave robber's first song, where he's trying to be all like stealthy and like steal like the zygote from corpses, but he keeps just screaming in the graveyard to grab everyone's attention. It's great. Yeah. <clears throat> he, he punches up because he he knows the material like the best. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. Um. Also, I love the look of this film. Some of the like CGI city landscapes are rough, but I like the overall design of it. It's meant to look like a set piece on a stage play, mm-hmm. which I also yeah. think is a bit of a weakness for the film as well in certain cases, because I think it's it's trying to be too much at once, stylistically. I think. Yeah. But that that's that's my opinion, of course. I mean, you two might have different opinions than me on that. No, I, I think that makes sense in general. That's that's kind of just. Uh like the movie in a way because it's trying to do so much at once even like just with genres like we were saying earlier yeah and i mean i think if anything cinches it it's the fact that the third act is literally on a stage yeah, yeah. Uh, old, old people watching you get certain other scenes that are like that as well i mean the house itself is a series of stages yeah, you could say that about a lot of films, though. I don't even know why I made that statement because that's <laughs> a, a movie's a set of stages. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it is but it is much more obvious in this film than it is usually. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, there's a lot of social satire about like obsession with beauty and genetic perfection, and and it gets really on the nose there at the end when they get to the the opera. And you got the that like fat guy that stands up to sing about how his genes were oppressed. <laughs> there, there, there's probably commentary about probably some current issues that I'm not going to give names because reasons. But it does go into the idea of being rather frivolous with your money if you're a part of the upper caste, where you can do whatever you want with yourself. Too. Also, just Nathan... Nathan using that guy's body as a puppet to finish one of his songs will always make me laugh. 
And I love that, like, it's so thought out that he... Because they play the Repo Man as, like, a second personality. He he disconnects from who he is to do the awful things that he has to do. To the point of the singing voice for the Repo Man is completely different. I do think that is a better way to handle it. Because otherwise, the other way you do it is you make a subtle, gradual shift. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that works for the pacing of the film. So I think the idea of borderline schizophrenia actually mm-hmm. really works for, for the acting in these yeah. you know, musical scenes. Because you need that fast pacing. Well, and le- we, we introduced that in the song Thankless Job, which, uh, Austin, since this is your first viewing of it, do you remember that one where he's singing to, to the guy he's about to cut up about how he has such a thankless job? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I got distracted with <laughs> my uh, uh, Google Chrome crash. Oof. I lost oh, the no. stream. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> oh, but yeah, I remember, I remember that song. And some of the gore effects are kind of low budget, but I that just makes it charming. Because, like, I'm a big fan of, you know, 70s and 80s horror films, which this kind of reminds me of something almost that would have been made in the 80s. Especially with some of the satire. Like squid packs that's for babies just, just put it uh, i hate cg i hate cgi blood like that's freddy versus jason is almost ruined by some of that cgi blood they do in that movie especially like early 2000s yeah you definitely get grindhouse feel from this movie which is very strange considering it's a budget of eight million dollars but even so I, yeah. yeah but i mean for two the eight for the 2000s that's still pretty small sure For... in comparison that's that is fair <laughs> it is still eight million dollars yeah. for comparison the child's play remake was made for i think only 10 million yeah, and i, I think was, yeah i was thinking of invisible man 2 which was seven yeah, and, and i the think inflation of the child's play remake think of that now with uh, how that was budgeted but it's it just came out last year. There wouldn't be that much inflation. Oh. <laughs> I would. I don't know. I'm not a money expert, but I mean, uh, maybe take a million off or something. Yeah. Uh, and I think this movie different. looks better than the Child's Play remake, at least in certain aspects. I haven't seen it yet, so I can't compare. But, it's. But I have, but I have seen the original. I have seen the original Child's Play and a few of the sequels. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it. It's hard to compare that remake to the original because they're doing two very different things. But if I had to pick one, I would go with the original just because I prefer the Chucky that has a personality and is like, he's evil because that's what he wants to be, not he's just an AI gone rogue. <laughs> See, what what I like about the Child's Play remake is that they just did their own thing. They were like, let's yeah. not remake the first one like terribly like we do they just went let's just do our own thing with this and i will give them all the props for that because that's what i was expecting when they announced it (laughs) but i uh, wonder how much of the budget for like both those films was like just set aside for the acting talent that was hired for this and i guess how much was left for a you know set design and everything else I got some good props in this movie as well. I got to praise some of the costume design for for the budget they had and for the you know the scenario that they're working with. Um, 
Yeah, now that you mention it, that does make me wonder, because mainstream-wise, the biggest name in this movie is probably Paris Hilton. Yeah. Or that, Alexa Vega. That is, that is a bizarre thing to think about, but yeah, that is probably true. Yeah, yeah like, the the average guy is not going to know who, like, Bill Mosley is. Maybe next to uh, Alexa. Yeah. Maybe next to her, because you... Depending on when uh, Spy Kids 3 was released. Um, it's like 05? Mm, something like that. Thing of Spy, I guess thinking of the kids that grew up with Spy the original Spy Kids. Yeah. And then seeing the films from there, they probably would be old enough to, that they would be interested in this sort of thing. Speaking of Paris Hilton, I laugh every time her face falls off at the end. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> like... I don't know much about Paris Hilton, so I'm only going by what I've read about her, and I'm assuming a lot of this is just, like, a public persona. It astounds me to think that that person agreed to be in this movie. <laughs> it could show some self-awareness. Yeah. Because she is really just playing, like, a satirized version of her of her public persona, anyway. I don't want to say herself, because I obviously I don't know the woman, but... <laughs> So Austin, since like we said, this is your first viewing. Any any standout scenes other than Zydrate Anatomy? Oh, I thought you were gonna make me rank it. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. Sure. Top rank, rank, rank the scenes. Go ahead, Austin. <laughs> okay, I I will rank this film a nine, just like the Bye Bye Man. No. <laughs> I I give this film an A out of five. <laughs> if, anyone gets, if anyone gets that reference, uh, you you get a. Trivia brownie point, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how the internet works. Uh, I was expecting a little bit more, but okay. <laughs> the points don't matter, Austin. So. I mean, trivia brownie points aren't that great. And if anyone gets a reference that I just referenced, then you'll get a two brownie points, I guess. Just aren't great rewards. <laughs> No, that would be like if you get the reference, you get a PS5. Oh, sure. You, uh, you that is coming it, out of his pocket, not mine. You, you just inflated our uh, podcast economy. I, I'm working with some small funds here, and then you promised something that is very difficult to provide. Well, we just we won't provide it. It'll, <laughs> we'll just say it was satire, like that old uh, Pepsi commercial where it's like collect all these tabs and. If you get like however many, you get a fighter jet, and the one kid did, and they were like, "Well, we can't give you a fighter jet." No, <laughs> well, what we'll do is we'll make a payment plan for acquiring the PS5, and if they don't pay it, we repossess it. Oh, and then we break their legs. No, what? I mean, so so they PS5s are organs, right? Is that how that works? Yeah. I don't know consoles, so I don't know what that means. They, they, well, they put it inside their bodies, right? In an organ, I would think. Okay, right, but John? back... What? What is? I don't even know what's happening. I guess I want to say I want to cut something. Okay. But for other reasons. Never mind. But back back to the movie at hand. Austin, any, any standout scenes for you just on the one viewing? Um... Not that it's like coming to mind after we we're talking about it. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so then this one I am going to ask you to rank. 
top five songs from which you remember, if you can. Oh, oh God. <laughs> but I better get a list out uh, so you can do them all. And you can yeah, pull up yeah, a list. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't expect you to do this from memory. Not on a like yeah, one I'm viewing. Can I even remember what what the songs were? Uh, and then Milton, do you have the chat pulled up as well? I would, but I I'm using for, this uh, for, for the, for the chat. Says, "Give me a PS5, you frauds." Oh, <laughs> Paris Hilton becomes a Joker at the end. <laughs> Well, there's that one guy uh, that has like the mask thing that reminded me of. Uh, Are you talking Joker? Yeah, you're talking about Pavi. Yeah. yeah, that's Ogre that we were talking about. No, we're saying Paris oh, Hilton okay. becomes Pavi. That that's actually an interesting way to look at it in some ways to see the the direct comparisons between uh, Pavi and uh, Paris. Paris well, I mean, if you remember, because they kind of wrap everything up in the credits, yep. he ends up buying her face and wearing it. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. And, yeah. and they, they really counted on getting a sequel. Like, they, So they either wanted to make a prequel or a sequel. It's probably not going to happen anymore. I so, they're probably, they probably moved on. So the people who made this yeah, movie absolutely. did do a kind of spiritual sequel and the fact that it's just the same people working on it. Uh, but there is a movie on Prime called The Devil's Carnival. It's only like an hour long. Yeah. I didn't like it as much. It was just missing kind of that flair. But it is the same people who made this movie, and it's the closest we'll ever get. I'll just check it out. All right, well... I've heard of that. So I don't yeah. Know. So, while while Austin is working on his five list, what about you, Milton? Okay, so... It's difficult to rank some of them, because I'm, I'm indecisive of rankings. Mm -hmm. I hate top tens and top fives, but I will say some of the five favorite songs I have liked. So, we have... I think the strongest one that appealed to me first is 21st Century Cure. You get that first. The other two songs before then are kind of kind of background. You get Genetic Revo Man, which is the intro. Mm -hmm. It's fine. I I like it more for the visuals it says rather than the song itself. Personally. I get I shouldn't go through an exhaustive list. There are a lot of songs in this rock opera. Um, but, um <laughs> Mark It Up is also really good. Legal Assassin, I will put on my phone every so often and just listen to it. Um, I do I do like, um, even though there aren't really any, I mean, English words till the end because I'm an English speaker, I did like uh, Mag's last song. I would have been interested to see more of a Paris Hilton's song as well, but I mean, the oh. point of that scene is that, is that that's cringy. Is supposed to just to die real early and be embarrassing. That's the entire point. Um, Seventeen was also pretty decent. You also get some cameos from from some actual artists in that song. Yeah, Joan Jett uh, shows up in that. Yep. Chase the Morning is also really good. Um, you get you get good back and forth over there. I'm not going to talk about Zydra Anatomy. We all know Zydra Anatomy. It's great. I mean, it, other people can speak more to that, but it is probably the one scene that most people, if they have seen this movie, they know that scene and they know mm -hmm. that song. It's a good way to kind of summarize what the movie is about to a certain degree. Minus some other important themes, but you know. 
mostly mostly red. That's my five cents. I asked for five top five, and he just five goes, five. he just goes through and is like, I like this, I like this song. This is what this means. This would no. <laughs> just give it like a comprehensive you break. You can rank them, but I don't think that would serve the film very well because each has its purpose in place. Yeah, I just mean me taking this. Me, me taking this thing way too seriously than I should, honestly, in this rather arbitrary <laughs> ranking system. No, uh, I agree. We should not rank it, so I don't have to come up with five. Uh, but, Zydrin Anatomy gets uh, a 97 out of 97. Let, let me just say, on with 17, at the end, when he just smacks her stupid, it may, it's hilarious. I... Hmm. <laughs> but wait, are we are we talking about seventeen? That's what I said in the song okay. seventeen. I did I didn't laugh. I mean, I I do now that I've seen the film a few more times, but but um, well, yeah. You know, and I mean, it didn't shock me the first time, and I was I was immersed. Well, I just thought it was funny because she goes on this like three minute rant about how she's an adult now because she's seventeen, and he just max her like no. You heard uh -huh. it here first, folks. John likes violence against women. Yeah, let, let's go ahead and take John's words out of context. <laughs> Austin, you're fired. Hey, hey. Okay, where's the hang-up button? <laughs> no, you're you're yeah, sticking around. Nah. You know. um, so, just to give Austin a little more time, because I doubt he has a top five yet. Um, mine, number one is Legal Assassin. Number one and two could be switched, though, because, of course, number two is going to be Zydrate Anatomy. Uh, third is Let the Monster Rise, which is the back and forth between Nathan and uh, Shiloh towards the end when she finds out he's the Repo Man. Four is Mark It Up. And then fifth, I'm going to go with 21st Century here. And this is just on a purely listening enjoyment level. It's not like how important it is to the story or anything. Honestly, you can like a lot of songs that Terrence Adonik is in. Just like pick those ones, and you can't really be wrong. Well, and I, I've discovered I'm a sucker when for songs where it has like two singers going back and forth like that, especially like in the Let the Monster Rise, because um, I legitimately feel bad for Shiloh when she finds out who the Repo Man is. All right, Austin. Oh God. Okay. Um... <laughs> Putting you on the spot. This this is your time to present in class. Uh, okay. Yeah. And I'm gonna half-ass it like a, like I'm in class. Okay, I'm gonna say 17 because I like abuse of women. Genetic repo man because it's like the title. Um, genetic emancipation because it reminds me of Harley Quinn. And oh, no. Zydrate Anatomy. Boom. He didn't put Zydrate Anatomy on there because we did. <laughs> I like that list. <laughs> Top tier list. It, it gets uh, a cookie out of a pizza for me. Heck yeah. <laughs> That's how it's done. Uh, and then uh, I also really liked the, the twist where uh, Marnie, or no, Blind Mag is Shiloh's godmom because it, it makes you believe that Shiloh does want to get out of the house. And get out and live a life, cause she's got a fam. She's got family that she never knew she had out there. 
it, it makes sense for Marnie to have that kind of friend, and then for that friend to still be interested in Shiloh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Our our re- our Repo Man being very possessive is very in line with the themes of the movie. He's a person whose profession is to repossess things, so he understands the idea of property, and he looks at his daughter as a form of property, but like the most precious property. And was... Towards the end of the film, she he actually sees her as a person at the end. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting. I never thought about that, the property thing. I always just thought it was, he's just a guy that can't let go. Um, Because of what happened with his wife, he stuck in, in the past, and he stuck where he is. And as a side effect of that, he doesn't want to accept that his daughter is growing up and is going to want to leave. But you get a legal assassin, especially... In that in that scene where the movie is going on, you see a lot of uh, Nathan's property is dedicated to memorializing his wife. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he sees he sees Marnie in Shiloh really cements the fact that it's like, oh, she is a memorial. She is like these paintings and these holographic pictures yeah. that are going around. And uh, I, I value these things highly, and her most highly. She can't leave. She's part of the house. Yeah. Um, well, and the guy that... I, I started mentioning this earlier, but we got a little sidetracked. But the guy that plays Nathan, uh, he was—he did a lot of stage stuff, too. And he is in a stage play of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've seen like clips on YouTube. Uh, he plays... I've never seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show, so I don't know like the character's name. But he plays the Tim Curry character. Well, that, well, that's a the sweet. That's thing, just a, that's right? just another episode right there. We could probably dedicate an entire episode to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's, well, and I've yeah. never seen it either. I've always wanted to. But. That would probably be. That is definitely something we'd probably do around Halloween time. Um, I am just going to announce this now. We are planning to do Halloween around Halloween time. Yeah. I don't know if we're. Yeah. Well, we've <laughs> never yeah. said anything about it. Um. I don't know all year round, but yeah, Halloween <laughs> is probably the most appropriate for it. I don't know if we're just gonna do like the original, if we want to do like an original versus remake. We're we're planning that stuff out, but uh, that that is one of the movies that we want to do for Halloween time because I don't know about Austin, but I am really loving the talk show. I'm loving getting to do this, and I have fun every week. And Austin's like, I don't ever want to come back. <laughs> I'm contractually obligated now, so I'm stuck. I hope I've been a good addition, you know, bringing my critical analysis, I guess, to a... Bring an actual thought to the show. Yeah, we're just joking around about movies and having fun. So Noah says there's no other time to do Halloween. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one... Okay, yeah. You gotta do Halloween for Halloween. So okay, so Noah, you're coming on the show to talk about Halloween, then, right? Well, no, he's our uh, resident Rocky Horror Picture Show expert, so he'll be uh, here for that. Okay. Is cold take an expression? Because I'd like to think that I invented it. Here is what an expression? Is what cold take? Cold take? No, as opposed to hot. I've take. never heard that before, so maybe, um, maybe. Yeah. That or there's some guy in his basement going, I said that first 20 years ago. 
It's like meme. It's in just some. Oh book gosh, sorry. It's an Urban Dictionary. It was someone uploaded in 2018. So. Oh, if it's not in uh, Urban Dictionary, odds oh, are it's it, probably a sexual thing. But it means something different than what I mean, so never mind. Um, Is it a sexual thing? It's not actually. Oh, Surpris- okay. Surprisingly, you, it's surprisingly it's not. But no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Noah. Noah says he likes the time warp. Time time warp is pretty good. <laughs> I'm discussion for a different time, but definitely, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's is that a reference to Rocky Horror Picture Rocky Show? Horror yes. Picture Show. Uh, I I as literally someone, know nothing as about someone it. Someone who has seen Shadowcast in the movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, it's a, just the jump to the left and a step to the right. Uh, okay. Yeah, I literally know nothing about that movie. Um. It's it's definitely an interesting watch. Like it or hate it, you it's. So in some ways, I can see some similarities between like Reboot of Jeanette Gotha and Rocky Horror Picture Show, but however loosely in terms of theming, I guess. Well, it's it's one of those things where Rocky Horror Picture Show is like the horror musical that everyone knows. So anything that's any kind of like horror musical like this is going to be compared at least somewhat to that. I feel. Yeah. Uh, well, they reference uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show and the Evil Dead musical. Oh, okay. It's definitely an interesting genre with horror, with a lot of these films that we're talking about, because, and also with the next film that we're talking about, horror is not the main draw of these properties, which yeah. is definitely interesting to think about when they are mainly part of the horror genre, and that's where you can kind of put that stuff in there. Well, yeah, I was thinking about it with Repo uh, when I was watching it last night, that it's kind of interesting just the way it fell with both of our picks this week, where it was like, you know, both have the sci-fi elements, both are very, uh, like, have a lot of commentary in them. Like it, it felt a little, like, they're not obviously the same movie or anything, mm-hmm. but it was like, ah, there's some, like, similarities in what we picked. Although well, that's sorry. thanks to Noah, because he told me to pick They Live. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was talking with uh, yeah, about that some time ago. I think I can't remember who I said to, but it was definitely an interesting uh, an interesting pick. Well, and I, I picked yeah. I picked Repo because I've been meaning to get Austin to watch that. I showed it to Noah, but Austin wasn't there when I did. Um, which. By the way, around Christmas time, we're doing Anna and the Apocalypse because it's like the only, it's one of the only horror like Christmas movies that I know. But I want to do that and Gremlins. You, you also have Jack Frost if you ever want to try that one. But oh no, oh, no, that's you, you can. I don't recommend it, but you can. Not that one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell the difference in the same movie. <laughs> Do you know how okay. horrified I was in school when they made us watch that and Michael Keaton started like raping a woman to death in the shower? Wait, like... did you wait in school? <laughs> what, what, what part of, the what part of your education? Huh? He's just making a joke to point out that the same movie. Oh, okay. Sorry, blew, blew over my head. I was it's thinking about rape of the genetic opera. Sorry. Okay, so. It was a very cerebral joke. <laughs> before before we fully wrap up with this one, because I, I I, we've said we've said quite a bit, but do either of you have anything else to add about Repo? 
I mean, where, where do I, where do I start? I guess. Um, I guess it's, it's unfortunate that a movie can get such dedicated promotion and it can fail. It definitely is. 2008 was definitely an interesting time for film. We got a lot of really good stuff from a lot of, uh, you know, more publicly known, you know, IPs. And then we get this. I would imagine if this sort of thing was released in this market today, it would probably get a lot more recognition. Yeah, yeah of course. It, like if it was just straight to uh, streaming or something like that now, like I feel like it would have gotten a way bigger audience than it did back then. Of course, it probably would have been released by Prime and it probably would have been a different beast altogether than what we got. But mm -hmm. I say Prime and not Netflix because... Netflix Prime will release anything. I'd rather not, but you know that's besides the point. No, you don't want to fuck the company that made uh, cuties. No. Oh. <laughs> well, that okay. Is, that is to be fair, they <laughs> didn't make that movie. They just grabbed distribution rights from some French. I'm just saying. Thanks for like explaining away my joke that's I, what i'm here I, for i have done research in the movie without actually watching the movie to which i will say i have not seen cuties and i'm probably never going to but no the way. research around it is it's interesting because yeah the herself because the creator of the film herself is like someone who experienced a lot of you know death. yeah I've but enough about her, a different horror film <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, and we're still kind of figuring out the whole, I guess, thing here, what segments or whatever. But I believe last week we did give Bye Bye Ban a rating. So we're going to stick with that. Starting with Austin, out of five, what would you rate Repo the Genetic Opera? Well, I already gave it a nine, but I guess if I'm giving it a, <laughs> out of five, I'm going to say probably a four, 3.54, around there. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I've, I'm weird with ratings. It feels kind of arbitrary in a way. But yeah, it's just a know. personal rating of enjoyment. Yeah. Go ahead, Milton. If I had to give a rating, I might seem a bit unkind with the rating, but it is honest. I would say a 3 out of 5. I do think it's above average, but I do think some of the technical aspects are a bit wanting sometimes. Okay. It has a lot of stuff that can that appeals to me, and it has some good, you know, theming, and it has some decent writing and back and forth. You get some technical, you know, talent, but some of it suffers. I think it's trying to do too much in some of its uh, style. Yeah, it's best to stick with something and then try to utilize that as much as you can without doing too much. The content is relatively simple. You know, they'll try to overthrow. And that's fair. And, uh, Noah gives it a 3.5 out of 4, but it was out of 5, stupid. And Josh says he hates using ratings. so That's fair, Josh. And that's fine that you probably were a little harsh on it, because I'm going to probably be like overly soft on this movie. Oh, I'm going to give... give it a 5. Uh, no, I'm going to give it a 4.5. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. I feel like this movie was made for me. The songs, the the like atmosphere, the style. My biggest complaint is 
Rati Largo and his obnoxious wannabe opera's voice. Um, the technical issues don't really bother me, but I think that's because I love the B movies that aren't always perfect. And I'm also just not like a filmmaker. I don't, sometimes I don't even notice that stuff. It has to be like really bad for me to notice. Um, I will say in Josh's defense with the fact that, here's the thing, I give a three point, I give a three out of five. I post that somewhere, people are going to ignore it because it's a three out of five. Despite the fact I would say you absolutely should watch this film. So I could, I can definitely, I can definitely see where Josh is coming from. And, yeah, I, and a lot more of the reviewers that I've respected kind of shy away from that sort of hard ranking. And because art is not a standardized test. Yeah. Well, and then with five, it's like, yeah, exactly. Like three out of five maybe sounds harsh when you think about it, but it's like, not really. Like there's perfectly good uh, movies that I would say are a good, like three out of five. It's better than a six out of 10, I suppose, if I had to go with that sort of ranking. Or, eh, 6.5. Well, and and like I said, this is something we're still kind of hammering out the details. Mm-hmm. In a week or two, we could have a completely different... Because um, I, I also do kind of like... And I didn't go with this at first just because I didn't want to step on any toes. But I also do kind of just like the, the way Red Letter Media does it, where they think, you know, would you suggest this to someone? Yeah. So that might be something we end up doing instead, instead of a hard, like, number review in the future. I've seen an anime reviewer with glass reflection if you see some of the stuff that he does he actually puts like a text like at the end or something like that however you want to do editing um but it gives a good summary of some points as well as recommend or not recommend or how i i wouldn't mention anime scare often off the pros and cons i wouldn't (laughs) i wouldn't mention anime you'll scare austin off that that is true honestly anime has some pretty decent horror flicks yeah, well, good and, luck getting him to watch and it. A few good horror things. It, the anime does not particularly do horror well most of the time, unfortunately, but sometimes it does well. But that's I'm a I'm a big fan of Helsing, uh, which is pretty. Well, cool. I don't know about anime, but I like uh, Jinji Ito, the uh, manga. Jinji Ito. Yeah, that of might course, be something cool to talk about one day. I credit Jinji Ito more for the. I mean, he's the manga artist. His adaptions, the adaptions of his material, are not great. That's what I've heard, yeah. And there's because, a new one, I think, coming out. Um, based on Uzumaki, I think, title. I, I'd have to wrong. check, because it's it's difficult, I guess, getting on a whole tangent about anime adaptation, art adaptation in general, or really just adaptation in general. You can't, it's sometimes not fair to like judge an adaptation too much by its original work. Sometimes it depends on the context in which you're reviewing well, it. Of course, yeah. You also get an issue of, I guess going back for even the genetic opera, you get an issue of trying to adapt the art style or the format that it's originally in and trying to put it in, into a different medium. And that and that become, and that's just a challenge in and of itself. You get, yeah. for instance, with Junji Ito, beautiful drawings. Incredibly beautiful drawings. Like with... Um, there's it's a preserve so if anyone knows that manga as well. You try to adapt that into motion. That it, you cannot tell someone to draw that frame by frame. That is exactly, insane. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Josh says that he uh, that he thinks we uh, genuinely love Perfect Blue. I'm not sure what exactly that is, but I'm not sure what that is. So uh, Noah, I know what that is, and it is a fantastic film. And Satoshi Kon was a was a a universal treasure that will be forever missed, and his life was cut criminally short. You said that was Josh that brought it up. Yeah, yeah, and he also okay. says that if we did an episode on uh, Jinji Ito, he'd love to join, especially if it's uh, Uzumaki. Yeah, you well, could do a you could do a Satoshi Kone like double feature, um, Perfect Blue and Paprika. Well, Josh, if I can ever get Austin to watch an anime film, we will we will think about it. <laughs> but I mean, not to get us. That's not just like a good. Those aren't just good anime films. Those are just fantastic films. I just like to give Austin crap because he always gives me crap for liking anime. Yeah, you dirty weeb. <laughs> but not to get us too far off topic. So we we've discussed Repo. Uh, we may come back to it, but I we usually try to go for about an hour and a half, and we were a little late today. So just trying to yeah, keep things on the flow. It's all it, no, you're good. So the next film is the one that Austin picked. So I'm going to let him do the introduction, since this is his movie, or his pick. Uh, so, Austin, go ahead and tell us about They Live. Well, we're finally doing a Carpenter film, uh, which is They Live, which is um, not one of my favorite Carpenter films, but it's still it's still great, um, which is all about uh, like aliens that have kind of taken over the upper ends of society, and uh, are kind of oppressing all the people uh, in secret. And Roddy Piper gets a pair of sunglasses that allows him to see uh, the aliens in disguise and their uh, messages. That's the movie. So let me just say this further cements my my statement that uh, the 80s were the greatest decade for horror. Because I really liked this movie. <laughs> we we Get know John Lennon's sunglasses over here. We already knew Austin was an alien. You didn't need to tell us that. Um, I'm like that old lady that he berates in the grocery store. <laughs> uh, so this was my first time seeing this. It had been on my list uh, way before this show was even a, a thought. Before I even uh, had Austin come on the show as kind of a, a co-host uh i had started watching carpenter films because obviously austin is carpenter's one of your favorite directors i see your yeah, favorite or i i go back and forth he's at least <laughs> top two it's one uh, who's uh, the other well it's him and uh tarantino for me okay okay um You're very so... different directors it's weird <laughs> yeah I, I mean i like tarantino as well i feel I feel weird about praising Tarantino sometimes because yeah. a lot of his style is I have studied a lot of films and I take a lot from other people and I make my own thing kind of out of that. Now, granted, a lot of artists do that. Most, if not all artists do it now. It's weird, though, that that is the main draw of his style, but I still love it. So, Yeah, well, and I'm leaning more towards Carpenter, I think, at this point as being my favorite director. But uh, I am a basic bitch, so. <laughs> I, I don't really think that sort of mentality is 
too critical of that. I honestly would praise the Carpenter's films as well. He he tries. Mm-hmm. And he's really brave with a lot of his uh, his material. I I will he, say it. I was always stuck with a low budget and just did what he could. I, I will say it was nice to see that he finally got action right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm giving, I'm making a joke only slightly. I did like the action in it quite a bit more, but I watched when I was going through a Carpenter phase, because uh, I'd been meaning to watch a lot of his movies. I watched Escape from New York, and that might be my least favorite Carpenter movie because it's fucking boring. Uh, and nothing happens for most of it. I'm being, I'm over exaggerating a little bit. It. There were things I liked about it, but just for comedic purposes, I'm overstating how bad I thought it was. You can't be, you can't exaggerate if you're just straight up wrong. <laughs> I, I, I uh, would say that, um, I guess my opinion of Carpenter's films with like Escape from New York and whatnot, it's mm, Carpenter, I think, does better with the horror genre than he does just with the straight action genre. Yeah, well, and I think that's this movie's strength is it combines those two, because obviously there is action in this, at least somewhat, but it's minimized, but it doesn't matter that it's minimized, because what's there is good. What's more in line with, like, Big Trouble in Little China, I'd say, where it's not, like, super action-y, I guess, but, like, there's action in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's just, like, a mix the... of a bunch of stuff. Yeah, you get the big three, um, with, like, uh, John Carpenter's Kurt Russell books, with, like, Big Trouble in Little China... Escape from New York. You also have Escape from L.A., but most people will reference Escape from New York. And The Thing, which Carpenter did before they live, and I think he got action pretty right in that movie. So I don't know what you're talking about there. I was mostly just making a dig at Escape from New York. Like John's just uncultured swine. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> but I, you mentioned The Thing, and Austin's like, can we just get to like The Thing and all the other Carpenter movies already? Hey, that, there's a there's another one for you there. Um, well, oh, yeah. sorry, Austin, I imagine you want to talk about more about they live, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's get into they live. I, the I'm seeing I past know. the charade here. I see the so, truth. No. Obey, obey. Which, so, which is how that started actually in this film. Yeah, yeah, because that's like a a brand now, which is really weird. <laughs> it was um. Street artist, I think. I forget exactly what the artist's name was, but it then, you know, yeah, what you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing is pretty funny. Uh, well, John, this is your first time watching it, so what were your thoughts on They Live? I liked it quite a bit. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, oh interesting. interesting. Okay. okay. Well, you guys can both give me your first thoughts. No, so, so I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Um, this this might just be like the way my brain is wired because I grew up with these films, but the the satire in this is so like in your face, but not in a bad way, that it reminded me of a Romero movie. Because uh, Romero's films, maybe it's debatable whether he intended those to be satirical, but when he is doing satire, it's so like in your face about it, but not in a bad way. But also, I love George Romero movies, at least his zombie films. Kind of iffy on his, like, non-zombie movies that I've seen. Um, and also, like, I don't say this often, but the alien faces, the first time I saw it, kind of freaked me out. Just with how, like, unnatural they look in a good way. Um, yeah, they're really unique designs. And it's 
Roddy Roddy Piper and uh, Keith David are great. Uh, Roddy Piper delivers one of the best one-liners in film history. <laughs> well, my favorite part about that is because he, he delivers like the famous uh, bubblegum line, and he's got a shotgun in the middle of a crowded bank, and he just like unloads in the bank into the crowd, and he's only hitting the aliens. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, and one of these days I'm gonna have to make you watch it, but or watch this movie that I'm about to mention. But the guy that ends up selling out to the aliens that they meet back he's at the beginning of the movie and then he comes back at the end and this time he's joined the elite. You know who I'm talking about? Uh I don't I don't remember anyone's names, just the actors' names, but I don't remember this guy's name. But he's in Wishmaster for for a few minutes and he plays this homeless bum that uh makes a wish on the wishmaster to the wishmaster that this this uh, pharmacy pharmacist that he fights with over where he sleeps in the alley will get cancer and so the wishmaster grants it and gives the pharmacist every kind of cancer known to man and it's hilarious <laughs> but yeah you get, we got to watch that movie one of these days cuz he's a great and i was like that's the guy from wishmaster it's like one of the only other things i've seen him in uh, George Buck Flower. <laughs> and that movie has a that, that's another movie with a killer cast like Kane Hodder, Robert England, Ted Raimi, uh, Tony Todd. Uh, oh yeah. Well, uh, Nick, what was your first uh, impressions of this film? So, uh, Milton... no. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Crap. I'm just glad it wasn't me. Because I knew one of us was gonna do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not calling me George. Least you're not calling me George Lucas, so whatever. <laughs> um, so Keith David is the my favorite actor that I never expect to see whenever I see him. I don't know why that is, but it's it's one of the it's just one of those things for me i saw the first performance that i ever experienced from keith david was when i was playing halo 2 for the first time and his, oh, he has course, a voice yeah. acting credit as the arbiter mm-hmm. so from there ever so occasionally i will look at the credits of the film and i'll say oh there, there's there's keith david right there oh okay cool community sure why not twice yeah, I, I have that too, actually, where like he just shows up in things I watch, and I'm like, oh, yep. Keith David's in this. That's cool. Yeah, but... <laughs> just other subtle references. We'll see who catches that one. Um, but, but yeah, Keith David... So a weird thing that I saw when researching this movie was how much people just dunk on the acting in this film. Which I find to be strange in hindsight. Because I can understand at the time why that sort of thing might have been criticized for an 88 release. But today, it's... I can't see it, because I'm in a different generation of film viewers. Mm -hmm. You You have this WWE wrestler, Roddy Piper, come in as um, essentially a no-name to the big screen. People know him from his his earlier work as a wrestler, but he's also done a few acting credits here and there with other B-movies. Roddy Piper's character, 
is never named inside of the movie. He's credited as Nada, which is a reference to the original short story that was penned, um, which is what this film is inspired by. Some say bass, but it's it's loose, but um, you know, it's still yeah, works. Yeah, it's one of those old school uh, adaptations where it's more uh, inspired than actually based around a book or a short story. But, but yet you get good energy with the cast, and it, it surprises me in hindsight of how small the cast is, technically speaking, when you put, you know, the acting credits of extras aside. You have a small cast of characters that you're working with. Mm-hmm. And they work. They absolutely do. They fulfill the roles that they're supposed to. They carry themselves with the way that they're supposed to. Um, in fact, a lot of these characters aren't named, but you remember them. Uh, you got George Flowers, the director. He's probably one of the more memorable characters. He doesn't have a name in this movie, but you remember him. So I can't really understand how one could really just, you know, dunk on this acting in this movie. And apparently that was one of the main issues that audiences had with this, which I still yeah. find a little bizarre. It's definitely not conventional acting by any stretch of the imagination. It's definitely its own sort of energy that you understand if you go into the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. The, the fight scene between Keith David and Roddy Piper is a section that was originally intended to be 30 seconds long and then just going at it with John Carpenter he said, oh, John said you know what, okay sure you can have a 5 minute fight scene 5 minute, that's to be in and, and you have Roddy Piper using his experience as a professional wrestler with his choreography skills working with Keith David Mm-hmm. You have a scene where they are actually punching each other, except for the face and the groin. The other, the other moves are real. Yeah, yeah, and you get some cool flips and stuff and slams from uh, Roddy Piper. It's like right out Whoa. of uh, wrestling. It's, well, it's a lot of one of the best fight scenes in cinema. Well, it's funny because I briefly remember somebody before I started the movie mentioned somebody mentioned the alley scene, but I didn't know what they were talking about. And I think, I, was it me when I said it's extremely self-indulgent and I love yeah, it? Yes. <laughs> and so, but I didn't know what you meant, obviously, because I'd never seen this. And I thought this movie, in, that scene ended like three different times. Yeah, and then they just got back up. <laughs> and I was like, this couldn't work and I should be terribly bored, but I'm having way too much fun. I think it ends perfectly. I, I do too. Hilarious. And I, yeah. I and as... I would say the screen transition is a little strange. I would have told that just a little bit, but otherwise I love it. And as someone who used to watch wrestling during the post-Attitude era before they went PG-13, or PG, whatever, it's it's been a few years, uh, one of the moves that Roddy does is a suplex, which is where he just picks him straight up. And, and I lost it at that, because you don't often see just straight-up wrestling moves in a film like this. And I thought it was so so fucking cool. <laughs> they direct they directed themselves, Keith, mm-hmm. Dave, Keith and Roddy. Yeah, they they did all that themselves. So the fact that they were able to do that sort of thing, it's like you will probably never see that sort of thing ever again in the movie. Yeah. Unfortunately, no. Well, except for on smaller projects, maybe. But uh, and and you you stepped away when I was saying this, but when I was just giving my first impressions of this movie. I think I've I've mentioned this to Austin before, but I have this running theory that the 80s, like, I know we over-nostalgize the 80s and 
stuff like that, and I don't care about any of that. But I think the 80s were, like, the golden point for horror films. Because you've got, golden like... Golden point for Carpenter. Well, yeah. Oh, I mean, that, the that wasn't horror. horror. <laughs> well, he didn't exactly do a lot in the 90s, either. So. Uh, see... I don't know, like, I like his horror films, I love The Thing, I love In the Mouth of Madness, but I don't know if I could put them above Craven's horror movies, at least his big ones. He got a lot of hard hits financially and critically in a lot of his films, like, most of his films are cult classics. Well, that's mm-hmm. what I was going to say to you about when you were uh, talking about the acting being criticized, that's just kind of Carpenter's career in general, not exactly the acting thing, but just being ripped apart by critics. Mm-hmm. Like the thing got in, I don't get it at all. Well, and I think the thing, the thing's critical re- reception, at least amongst like horror fans and in modern audience, or at least modern, you know, people who grew up with that movie, that'll always just be a co- point of confusion. Like, I don't get it. Were we watching the same movie? But we'll we'll talk more about the thing when we do. Uh, I, I I'm gonna pull the pull the Austin thing here and keep announcing things, but. Uh, when we do Carpenter Month, we're we're gonna do the thing, in the mouth of madness, the fog, and the fog, what was the fourth one? Christine, Christine, that was what we said. That's right. Okay, and out of those, I haven't seen the fog yet. Uh, Austin's gonna that laugh. Was gonna be my suggestion, and then Noah was like, "Do they live?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'll save the fog for this Carpenter Month." Because uh, Austin's probably going to laugh at me for this, but I have seen the remake. I don't remember much of it, but I haven't seen the original. Well, the remake is one of my favorite Carpenter stories, where he was because he was working on that film, and then he talked about it. He was like, "Yeah, I like went to set, said hi, and then I went home." <laughs> That's mostly his producer credits right there. Just yeah. Well, the and... only part of the story that just isn't accurate is he didn't mention smoking a hundred cigarettes in that time. <laughs> so we will we will do that. I think we agreed in March, just because we're already what, like two weeks into February, a week into February. I don't know. I work from home. I never leave the house. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I'm really excited for that. Uh, I love the thing, of course. So then, Austin, is this someone who has seen this movie? You're the only one who's seen this movie more than once. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, did you ever wonder why it wasn't Kurt Russell in the main role instead of Roddy Piper? Well, funny enough, uh, before I watched it, I knew you know the big the bubblegum line, and I always thought it was Kurt Russell. Just like in my <laughs> head, I just I, like, uh-huh. I, I didn't see the clip. I just knew the line, <laughs> and I just saw Kurt Russell in my head, where I was like. Is Kurt Russell's probably the lead of this movie, and then I got it, and it was like, oh, it's Roddy Piper, um, but he's also great. So I don't. May really he may he rest in peace. Yeah. And uh, I know I know you're not really a re- wrestling guy, but I got to see him, not live, but like on TV. He came back for mostly stage perform or like oh, promotions cool. where he would just talk on the mic, and he was great. Like. Yeah. The man had charisma, second to none. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that's really impressive with this movie is that he is able to give like a pretty decent performance uh, yeah. when he was just like a wrestler because that wasn't easy, especially at that time. 
you know, Hulk Hogan wasn't making anything like this. No, he probably never got a lot of success with, like, professional wrestlers getting into film. They were always criticized for bad acting because they, mm-hmm. they take a very different approach because they are... They are different kind of skills. They're yeah. essentially LARPers, but for sports. Well, and as someone who has seen, prom- like, both Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper cut a promotion... Roddy Piper was the better of the two on the mic. Hulk Hogan's entire gimmick was yelling into the mic and going, brother. Whereas Roddy could cut a promo and, like, he knew how to rile a crowd up. He knew how to get them on his side. Hulk Hogan didn't have that. That's why... And I know I'm going on a full, like, different tangent. I'm sorry. But my point is... Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, and Iron Sheik were also all better than Hulk Hogan at doing that. Yeah, Hulk Hogan just, he had the right thing he at the was, right time. and the 80s John Cena, yeah. one that all the kids loved. But uh, Although, I will say, I think John I Cena, at least in his prime, John Cena was better on the mic than Hogan was. Well, I liked uh, John Cena as a kid. Yeah. His rap album was my first album. And I don't know if I can say he's better on the mic. <laughs> I just mean on a, a talking, not singing. <laughs> no, I know. Um, but but yeah, right, Roddy Piper is. I think he's great. I think the reaction to him was very harsh. Mm-hmm. I think he does as well as he does. I think the the fact that he was brave enough to ad lib a scene like that, mm-hmm. I'd say, does pretty well. He he. He runs with the choreography pretty well, honestly, considering all the stuff that he has to go through in that movie. Yeah. Uh, well, Noah also says that um, uh, he says that Halloween is worse acting than uh, they live, in his opinion. And I mean, I think probably it's higher highs, but definitely lower lows. Yeah. Well, and acting. with with Halloween. And we'll we'll touch on this very briefly because we do have a show planned for that later. But I think I agree with you, Austin. But mostly because I think the only high point of that movie is acting wise is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. What's Ever- her and uh, Donald Pleasance? Yeah. Well, not, yeah, of course, of course. But I just mean of the like teen. No, no, absolutely. That's why I think it's probably it's probably higher highs, but lower I, lows definitely. Gosh, about Donald Pleasance, but yeah, that's a. That's I a mean. I, I like it, but he's the reason to watch the sequels, right? Just his descent into madness as he's forced to come back for each movie. <laughs> so with this movie, I don't think there's anybody... Oh, sorry, what were you saying? Oh, I was I was going to go into asking about the technical aspects of this film, but you're fine first. Oh, I was just going to say um, that I don't think there's anybody that's really a weak point in this movie. As opposed to like Halloween, I can definitely look at actors and be like... I may be liking this, but that actor's not great. Well, and this is obviously a more experienced carpenter. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're getting out of you're getting like late eighties carpenter, so he's done quite a few films that are already recognized as cult classics. Well, yeah, he's been that would recognize as cult classics by the time of today, but you know what I mean. So I have I have to say, uh, and then we'll get to the technical aspects. Mm-hmm. But I felt really bad because obviously I'm taking notes while watching this, which I probably should have watched this twice, but I didn't have the time. I so I, com- I completely I missed. Repo, yeah. I completely missed the fact that Keith David died uh, in this movie. 
And so it goes really quickly, so it's easy to miss if you're looking away. So, so when you yeah. get to the final, the ending, which is great, and I don't know what it is, but I have a thing about movies where the protagonist dies. And if you came here not looking for spoilers from a movie from 1988, sorry about you. Uh, it's over. It's over 20 years old. You're you're gonna get spoiled. Um, but I always love a movie that has the guts to kill its protagonist. They don't feel like we do that enough. Well, I think with this kind of story, like absolutely, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. For, uh, for it, it, it depends on what you're working with. I would, I would say for John Carpenter, it's part of the course, but I mean, yeah, cause John Carpenter is definitely not part the of the course of other filmmaking, anyway. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, Austin, didn't you play the video game on the PS2? Don't even say it. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was really confused at the end. Uh, when uh, Piper dies, I was like, well, "What happened to Keith David? Like, he just disappeared." <laughs> yeah, the first time, when I first watched it, when Keith David dies and the woman turns on them, like blew my mind. I was just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> so that irritated me because, uh, so I saw her, I saw them find her, and then she's acting really weird, right? And I'm like, why is he trusting her? The last time they met, she threw him out of her apartment. Which is <laughs> awesome. It is. <laughs> like, sidesteps So, my analysis of that, interesting enough, there are two ways you can look at this whole thing with her character. You believe you can believe that either she's, like everybody else, to a certain extent, she doesn't see the aliens. She doesn't know and then she gets into a scary situation because someone has held her at gunpoint, brings her, comes into her house. She, of course, you know, reacts probably as other people would and reacts rather bravely. Of course, this is the protagonist of the film we're talking about. He gets a bottle hit on his head, so we look at it differently as an audience. But from her perspective, you know, there's that. You see the film, and then she is seduced. And, you know, probably after the second scene that we see her in. And then we see her. The other way you can view it is that she was always part of the elite. She always knew what was going on. She's a plant. She acted as a plant, and that's how she's been the whole time. Which is a very different way to do it, but I think you can view it either way, and it still works. Yeah, and she does have a very nice place, which is... uh something that a lot of people get when they work with the aliens so you can definitely see that read yeah and i I think the read on the second one might be a bit stronger because she claims that her radio station has nothing to do with aliens Mm -hmm. in the second scene that she's in so i think the second read is a bit stronger yeah no that was kind of where i was leaning the second viewing yeah yeah i would definitely i definitely want to watch this again and while, not while I'm taking notes, so I don't miss things like a major character death. <laughs> um, my my first thing that I saw with Keith David was, of course, Gargoyles uh, as a kid, uh, which is a wonderful show. I need to go back and finish it because it's on Disney Plus. And you know, I know, I know everybody like hates nostalgia pandering, but like, I love Disney Plus. It has all these shows that like I grew up on and. It's nice to just revisit, you know, stuff you grew up on every once in a while. Well, nostalgia pandering, funny you mention that, that's that's a component of this movie. 
with theming in some ways, and mm -hmm. just a general criticism of Reaganomics and social commentary, mm -hmm. uh, certainly. Plus, I mean, a lot of the casting that John Carpenter does with his movies to a certain extent is based off of nostalgia, with how people have viewed his films and how he will recast certain people. And, yeah. Not, well, not to take away from your from your point. Sorry. For, no, you're fine. Your um, no, you you brought it back on topic. You, <laughs> that's, that's good. Um, just to go back to the alley fight because I was I was looking at my my notes. Um, I I also lost it when Roddy got kneed in the nuts like five times by Keith David. <laughs> well, my favorite part of that is uh, Roddy Piper tries to punch him in the crotch. And he's like, you dirty motherfucker. And like three minutes later, he's like kneeing him repeatedly in the crotch. It's great. So this came out, what, like three years after the thing? If even yeah, that? It was a little bit longer than that, I think. Uh, Six years, at... maybe? Yeah. This is 88. Looking at his filmography, I'd like to check here. Okay, so the thing is released in '82. They live is released in '88, so we have six years. Six years. Um, oh, yeah. Since since uh, the thing, he did a uh, Christine in '83, Starman in '84, Become a Little China Starman. in '86, and Prince of Darkness in '87. He did a lot of stuff mm -hmm. during this time, and he was he was working really quickly with these low budget uh, movies. You know what? I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finn. And and they live actually broke the bank on opening weekend. It was actually one of the top hits. Oh wow! The box office actually. So I this I just had this thought about Carpenter that Carpenter films we're gonna do. If we're gonna do the thing and uh, in the mouth of madness, let's swap out like Christine for Prince of Darkness and just do the whole apocalypse trilogy. <laughs> oh, we could, yeah. Yeah. Why I put in Christine because I know you hate that movie. So I don't hate it. I just don't love it. It's kind of in the middle, but I've only oh, seen man. it once. You guys watch Dark Star? That's that's something I'd be interested in seeing. That would be his first uh, big movie. No, oh, okay. Yeah, I own it, but I haven't seen it yet. You own Dark Star? Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going through his filmography and buying everything. Um, a few months ago, I still haven't watched a lot of the stuff I picked up, but there's like a lot of just like random movies I'd never even heard of that I picked up. Okay. What what is it? Physical media or is it uh, digital? Uh, no, it's physical. Unless I'm getting it confused, I'm pretty sure. Is it? You, it's you like I gotta like go a, check now. What you got like a red letter media situation? Someone handed you a VHS or. So. Okay, I I might be wrong. If it, is it not is it not like um around anymore? Am I am I wrong about this? This is Dark Star that was released in 1974. It was uh John Carpenter's first uh big movie. He's like shit. Now I gotta go look at my Blu-ray collection. <laughs> I'm just looking at my Amazon to see. Let's see this Dark Star. <laughs> While he's doing that, um... Uh, yep, no, it is, yeah. Oh. No, I do own it. Oh, oh, wow. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. Because I'm like, am I just getting it confused with Starman? Am I, am I, or... <laughs> like, am I... Just being dumb? I don't know. <laughs> I, I appreciate how this movie kept me on my toes. 
because uh, I I thought it was we were just gonna stick with the sunglasses, and I know this is kind of like a minor detail, but it, something I found interesting is they realized like that would be so impractical at a certain after a certain point, so they come up with the contacts and upgrade to that, so they don't have to worry about whether or not they can see them, because as far as you know, they can always see them now. Yeah, it's definitely like going to the sunglasses. It's like the first time I. I saw the sunglasses scene. I don't know if I attribute this to like color blindness because I I am slightly color blind. But the first time he put, but the first time Roddy puts on the sunglasses, I didn't even notice the change the first time until I had to watch it later and see, oh, it's in black and white. And I was able to recognize that because I could see that later. But uh, but yeah, definitely it's interesting. John Carpenter probably knew, yeah, I can't film too much of these sets in black and white and change everything in these scenes. I can only do that for like a couple of days and then do it with these two scenes because <laughs> you, you can imagine just the insanity of trying to completely adapt that sort of style to like every single set design and set piece in the yeah. fucking movie because he's, he, he likes urban landscapes. He does that a lot in his movies. I mean, take like, imagine taking like the style of Escape from New York and trying to adapt, you know, the black and white sunglasses thing to that thing. Just, he was dangerously close to doing that with this movie. And uh, mm -hmm. I think he does enough that you get the sense of it and you assume what's happening towards the later portion of the movie. So you don't need to see that sort of thing in the forefront. Yeah, well, and it probably helps with. Uh, I'm assuming that this is like another lower budget, budgeted film. It's probably a lot easier to do it that way. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good way to do that sort of technical aspect on the lower budget. I think it's pretty cool. On yeah, no, the he's very smart about how he handles that stuff. On the flip side, you got that CGI saucer in there in that one scene, and that is. Atrocious, <laughs> and I'm and I'm not going to even praise John Carpenter about that. That was that was tough to watch as is, someone from this well, generation seeing that. So, it makes me wonder if uh, that was one of the things he was like forced to do. Because uh, Austin, correct me if I'm wrong, because I very much like confer to you and all things Carpenter. Um, but wasn't he forced to do like the flying saucer scene in the thing as well? Um. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, I'm not sure. My my mind's going blank on that. I don't remember. So, um, some carpenter fan I am. Oh. <laughs> why do we even have you on this show? <laughs> I I don't know. Because we're nah. Canadian. Yeah. I keep calling my agent, telling him <laughs> to get me off of this. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean I. I have not seen enough Carpenter movies. I don't. I've probably almost seen enough to do a top ten now, but I've seen most of the ones I was interested in. I don't really want to see like uh, Escape Dark from Star. Dark Star, Escape from L.A. Although I do kind of want to see Escape from L.A. because I've heard it's really bad and it has Bruce Campbell in it. Um, I've only seen one scene from that film. <laughs> And it's the most awesome scene ever, which is the Bangkok rules scene. 
I just only well, the, I guess it. that in yeah. the that in the surfing scene, but the Bangkok world scene is yeah. perfect. But I would say if I could put this in the top, I, if I would put this on a, a Carpenter list of films I've seen, it'd probably be right under Big Trouble in Little China, which would be probably third on a top five. That that's one I need to see. I I'm a bit lacking my Carpenter experience as well, but I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to amend that. He, well, he has my favorite one is Big Trouble in Little China. And yet he won't that movie constantly. So and yet he won't watch it. anime and it's it's just a live action anime. I don't get it. I, I don't know about that. You don't, you don't have much of an excuse there, man. Um for me my carpenter list to see where this ranks. For me, he still has an outdone in the mouth of madness. I think that movie's brilliant. That's another uh, one I need to see. And I'm I think I've seen three carpenter films and that this would be my yeah. third right here. Well, um, you know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you're always welcome to join us on a show anytime you're available. Um, I'm going to regret that, but no. <laughs> Bring you on point, guys. Get on the phone. Um, this is the one where we've most been on topic, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we're, we're. The thing. We're getting better. And I don't know about you, Austin, but I have been thinking at some point, maybe. Once we've gotten a few episodes and are down or done, uh, revisiting like the Predator, because I I I think we could do better than what we did. We that was our revision show. We just talk about all the things we didn't talk about. That that (laughs) was no. It's a it's a a remaster. Yeah, exactly. Because that was that was our first episode. I was a very bad person when I shot John. Uh, in cold blood, so I think he should shoot me first, and then I shoot him. I I just feel like that would make me more likable. That was uh that was our first episode together, and we honestly we just kind of goofed off for the whole episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, so um, well, and I got formaldehyde face. I don't know, but. <laughs> That whole scene where he's just parading that old woman in the it's so store. good, it's, it's like, so great. It's like you get kind of like subdued film, <laughs> like right up to that point, and then it's just a straight B movie from there, and it's it's an awesome transition because Roddy Piper just he goes all out from that point. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's, I like certain things, uh, like you know he sees that one cop that's just a normal guy. I like that it's not like. Uh, just all the police are all these aliens. Like it's a little bit more subtle than just everybody's evil. <laughs> it's handled movies super subtle, but it's it's, it's in your face intelligent. Like it knows it's beating you over the head with the message, but it's like it's smart about it and it knows it. Yeah, it's the idea where, yes, the rich have essentially alienated themselves so much from us that they are actually aliens is very interesting. Um, and you also get the fact of, yeah, they control everything. And a main thing about that is communication and mobility, which a lot of people who, and you start in the, the beginning of this movie, they don't have a lot of um, avenues of communication. You get that very obvious with how the television set functions in that scene. And you don't get a lot of mobility. You get immediately the 
you know, the, the homeless camp that you see. The horror of that situation is, is basically pronounced when you see the bulldozer come in and all their homes are destroyed. It's like the one portion of any sort of mobility of going back and forth to this place is now completely destroyed. But with that situation, you could have a scene where just the police come in and that's it and they just, they just, you know, attack people. But dedicating some scenes to the actual destruction of property really cements that idea of really contrasting the poor and the rich towards the beginning and the end. And you get the book, you get the book and scenes right there, especially with the, um, the teleporter that you see towards the end of the movie. And, uh, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the, one of the greatest important points about technical filmmaking. You got to book in the technical stuff here. If you, if you find the theme to be very important, you need the scenes to like work with them as well with what the characters are doing inside of it. Absolutely. Um, Another question for our Carpenter expert here. Uh, was this scored by Carpenter as well? Um, I meant to look for it in the credits. I know he at least does the theme. I'm assuming he probably scored the film. Because I really liked that. I really liked that theme. I'm obviously not as big of a Carpenter fan as you. Uh, especially his music, I find it hit or miss. Um, but I thought it worked yeah, really. Yeah. I, I thought it worked well in this film. Yeah, the music for the film was composed by John Carpenter and Alan Howard. Uh, oh, Carpenter okay. has almost always had, based on my research of the films, he's almost always had an influence in the music of his films. And yeah. later on past his films, like up to the most recent, um, what, was this a Halloween remake? Uh, yeah, it's a sequel to the original, but he does the music for it. Yeah, in between his films and that long hiatus that he took, he was just doing music mm -hmm. for a while. Well, and yeah, well, his... I know even for stuff like the thing, because he doesn't score it, but he did the theme to it. So he at least does the main theme. And his his like remix or whatever you want to call it of the main Halloween theme for twenty eighteen. That song, that version for that film is it's so good, wonderful. Yeah, it's especially good to realize um, low budget filmmaking and a person who has a passion for music who also understands the time to not fill a scene with music sometimes. Yeah. Which I like and how it deals in certain sections of this movie. Because you well, can always get tempted as a musical guy to put like music in every scene that you have. Mm -hmm. And then you completely miss the point of silence sometimes to let a scene chew a different way. Yeah, well from what I understand, Carpenter's thoughts on uh, film score is more so that it should just kind of be there and it shouldn't distract from the overall film. Which... I agree. Makes sense for that. Yeah. Speaking of horror films, have you guys seen Suicide Squad? Uh, I wish I hadn't. Um, one of my one of my go to horror films. <laughs> I think you broke my brain for a second. I was just like, ah. One of my. Yeah, that's uh, a real joke right there. One of my go to films for score, like being in your face, but it enhances the movie, is the original Dawn of the Dead. Because it has this completely, like, inappropriate uh, soundtrack to it. This, like, techno... Uh, Oz, do you remember when we watched it? Do you remember the soundtrack at all? No, but I'm not one... Not a type of person that really, like, thinks about score while I'm watching something. Unless it's, like, I don't know, more... Uh, 
Like Unless it's like... about the genetic opera, then you definitely. <laughs> it's exactly. a musical. Um, it's got the it. It's got a score done by like some European like synth pop band called Goblin, and it does oh, not. I remember you telling me about yeah. It does not. It, you would not think it would fit with a movie about a bunch of people trapped in a mall at the end of the world, but it does somehow. <laughs> well, and Romero gets really good with sound design, like in Day of the Dead, because you got that one where he's the guy's being like ripped apart, and they, I don't know how they did it, but they simulate like his vocal cords being torn apart, and it makes me shudder every time because. <laughs> Which we will cover those. Oh, point. okay. Noah says the track at the end of Dawn of the Dead is funny, and I the second I saw that, I was like, "Yep, I can hear it." The the like elevator did it did did it did. Yeah, where the guy like has his big hero moment where he charges through all the zombies. Okay, I I remember that now. It shouldn't work, but somehow it does. Say, Austin. Speaking of body horror, concerning this movie, um, the design of the aliens. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you know about the design concerning how that was generated? Because it, it's definitely a very interesting look. Because in terms of aliens specifically, um, a Carpenter was involved a bit with Star Wars, like very early on with George Lucas, actually. Oh, really? And, and then just briefly, like George yeah. sought him out for for a little bit. Um, and you're so you're getting that influence. Like from seventy, from like seventy seven, as well as other sci fi stuff, and then you come here in eighty eight, and you see a very different sort of alien. Yeah, it's like nothing I've seen in anything else. The design for the alien in this movie. Yeah, I'd say without this design, it probably would not be a horror film. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Well, and it could have very easily been like a really generic alien, because. Like you could have done anything, really. It could have just been like the gray, tall gray men. <laughs> it's a borderline zombie look, which yeah. Yeah, all goes on the idea of zombies. Of yeah, there is so many popping eyes, where it's it's very distinct. Stealth zombies. That's an interesting concept. You don't see that a lot. No, but it's I have seen way. zombies that can run on walls. Does that count? No. I've watched some really bad zombie movies. Um, my I'm first. Sorry for you, I'm sorry. I I, I sat we through the. Talk about the aliens. We gotta talk about the greatest scene of all time, which Noah mentioned, uh, in the comments. Uh, the final scene, which is, the um, like woman having sex and she looks down and it's one of those aliens. <laughs> That's just how it ends. <laughs> she goes yeah. to black. It's like, what's wrong? <laughs> It's my so great. <laughs> my first thought about the design was well, first they made me uncomfortable, like in a good way, because not a yeah. lot of movies. I don't I don't know I've I've always felt kind of like dead inside because movies don't like scare me. <laughs> like everybody's always going on about how this freaked them out and that freaked them out, and I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, I guess we're just desensitized to this sort of thing. Yeah, I. So that this movie could actually kind of freak me out with the design was awesome. But my first thought, and maybe this was because of the black and white, was he was trying to emulate, like, the 50s B-movie. Well, that was a bit of the uh, the design with this movie. And Austin I mean, just lost it when I said I'm dead inside. He's just like... 
That's just me, uh, me altogether, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. the black and white kind of enhances it to a certain degree. Oh, it looks, it looks great. I, yeah. Which is, well, then which is interesting to bring it up with how it is at the end, and they don't look as scary. In fact, they look rather vulnerable. They look which is, goofy. Which is a good thing, because that's actually how the tone of the film is supposed to be at the end. Yeah, well, and I think you can look at it, too, like he puts on the glasses, and he sees that the world is more black and white then he kind of realized where it's, you know, there's these aliens that are kind of the bad guys, and then there's, like, the people who are being controlled by them. Mm. Well, and I think, I think this, there's two categories for me when it comes to great horror. It either needs to be dumb fun, like, say, Evil Dead 2. Like, I love that movie, but let's be honest, it's dumb fun. Um, Or something like this, where it's using the horror to talk about real issues. And this is, this is like peak 80s, you know, making fun of the American uh, greed and Reaganomics. And... Probably just the idea of the American dream in general. Yeah. You get the idea of Roddy Piper's... I'm going to call him Nada because I should, because that's who he is. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nada nothing actually has, like, faith in the American people and, and in the system despite this tragedy. Mm-hmm. And then you get that sort of contrast with uh, Keith David's character Frank, who is already very um, jaded to the idea, and he's very cynical. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, you get a little bit of really a, you get a, bit of a, re- a role reversal when like there's leverage over Frank to uh, you know conform, and uh, not a has no there's no leverage over him, despite the fact that he's married. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a set design thing where it's like where Roddy Piper refused to take his white ring off during the set of the film, but I think it, <laughs> I think it adds actually an interesting component to his character. Well, and yeah, it gives him great. it gives him an, an extra layer of motivation to keep going, keep trying. It's like ever present loyalty to the white man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, and this is obviously. Uh, this is this is talking about some of the same issues RoboCop did, where it's set, it's make poking fun at and calling out how stupid we were in the eighties. Um, was the overweight consumers culture? You got that in Wonder Woman eighty four as well, but I think it does it better. We don't we don't talk about that movie here. <laughs> but obviously, this has kind of a more optimistic. Uh, message about where we can go as a people than something like RoboCop does. Because whereas RoboCop is using the satire as just background for the story of a man, you know, versus machine, this is very much we have a chance now to fix how fucked up everything is. Because now they know and the aliens are vulnerable. At least that was my read on that ending. Wall Street bets. GameStop stocks. <laughs> I mean, I, no, I thought of that okay. immediately when I, I thought of that immediately when uh, I was watching this film. It's weird well, that it's, that's a, coincided. And it's funny because yeah, this, I feel, I feel like this movie still, uh, still relevant. Um, Ab- absolutely, yeah. And it's what, like, thirty years later? Nothing changes. War, yeah, war never changes. changes. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People are just like self-fulfilling in this cycle of over-dependency and consumerism, just in different ways. The social pendulum will swing back and forth between left and right, 
um, mm -hmm. throughout the decades, but you get the same kind of people because they believe they trade values back and forth. Yeah. It's like we're not evolving at all. Devolving yeah. more like, but that's a that's a discussion for another channel. Um well it is nearing one thirty. We actually went with for almost two hours, I think. Uh, so, so we had two films this time. Well, and the the both of them had you know a little bit to talk about. And honestly, I'm I'm kind of thinking the two film thing might be a good idea going forward. It, it gives us more to more variety. You know, we're not trying to talk about one movie for an hour and a half. <laughs> um, so we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping up. But first, uh, Nick. Would you would you watch this movie again? We're gonna try this rating, see if it if it holds up, if it works so better of, than just a number. Out of five, I would say it's hard because because you're you can't like rate a low budget film on the same basis as you would as you would a high budget film. It's like a different beast. So yeah. I guess in terms of low budget films. Mm, we don't necessarily need to rate it. We're just we're just doing it if you would watch it again. I'm going so I'll give the rank first and I'll say that. Um actually, yes, absolutely I would see this film again. I would absolutely recommend this film to other people. Maybe a I was between a four and a four point five, so I'm gonna say a four point two five. Because I do think that there are certain technical things where you didn't have to like copy and paste like gun effects. Especially in the last scene, I think the last scene was a bit rushed in terms of choreography with and the effects of what they did with the gunplay in that movie in that section. I think it could have been a little bit more mm -hmm. um, with uh, when Ronnie Piper and uh, Keith David are on scene because you get alternating sections of where gun you see barrel fire <laughs> and then you see it and then you keep seeing the same you know the same shot that they did and they just like copy and paste it over that to kind of simulate it, but I think it's too obvious, unfortunately. I think it's an obvious cheating is something that I can't praise, unfortunately. I'll praise unobvious cheating, an illusion, but in this case I don't think it works. Just this one example. Yeah. Okay, so sure. I, I don't even feel like I need to ask this, but uh, Austin, would you watch this again? Uh, no, this is my <laughs> last time fuck this movie. What a twist. I wish I didn't pick it. <laughs> what a twist. All right, and then since, since we're still doing the rating thing, uh, what would you give it out of five? Uh, so first I'm just going to say uh, Noah put in, uh, he says 3.5 out of five, same as Repo. I'm going to say probably a four out of five. And what did you give Repo? Uh, you gave it, what, a 3.5? Um, I think 3.5 I said, yeah. Okay. I think it's so. a four, four out of five, something like that. Yeah, I think I said like three point five four, like something like that. So they're they're about they're about even. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it a three point seven five. So I I would absolutely <laughs> yeah, watch yeah, this yeah, again, yeah. and I'm gonna give it a four out of five. So, uh, for next week, uh, one of the movies I'm thinking of tackling is George Romero's Land of the Dead, because it tackles a lot of the same themes as They Live, and it's just as subtle about them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just using zombies instead of aliens uh, but let me know Austin if that's not something you can get easily access to uh, and then I'll find something else is there well, a I can always try to rent it if I have to 
Okay, well, I just didn't want you to have to spend like too much or anything for just a talk show. <laughs> oh. Yeah, um, fair enough. Well, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> is there a film you would like to talk about next week? Um, hmm. nah, I'm probably gonna have to think about it. So. No, I I need it. I need it now. <laughs> okay, uh, we're gonna do Human Centipede, the whole trilogy next uh, week. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> no. Um. If you if you need to take some time, uh, you can just let me know in in comments. Um. Way, way to Canadian the end of this podcast, awesome. So at the risk of at the risk of overexerting ourselves, Nick, if you're to come back next week, what would you like us to talk about? That is an excellent question and worth great consideration. I don't know. I'll get back to you. But I would definitely like to be here again. And thank you for having me on. This was this was awesome. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Much needed order to this show. So it was great. Austin and I Austin and I are just like unorganized chaos. (laughs) Um but yeah, both movies this week, great great picks. Um we're gonna have to find a better like bad movie next time we do a bad movie, Austin. Oh, that that should be easy to find. That you know, really that's fun. what I thought when I said let's do a bad movie, but then I spent like a week trying to figure out a bad movie. Well, yeah, was... like, I can see that as well because you have to think of okay, what aspects of bad filmmaking do I want to address, and how do I get? Cause... Well, clearly none of that mattered because I picked the Bye Bye Man, which is the most <laughs> uninteresting. <laughs> Move. It's the, one of the most memorable films I've ever seen in my life. No, it's like I think of like that one song that is like "Bye Bye" in it. I keep forgetting. Is it Backstreet Boys? Oh, it's, "Bye Bye Bye." Yeah. It's NSYNC's "Bye Bye Bye." That was my first CD as a kid. Going, <laughs> showing my age there a little bit because that CD just came out when I got it. I uh, I discovered Disturbed a few years later and never went back. Good choice. Um, Backstreet Boys, <laughs> Disturbed. I don't know. I can't pick. No, he he put on a pair of sunglasses and he realized, uh, you know, what Insync was actually saying. Oh yeah, just obey, obey, obey. <laughs> it's not as catchy. It's, it's, consume, consume, consume. Oh, but okay. uh, I must yeah. have got a different copy. It was the radio edit. <laughs> um, okay, but yeah, guys, next week, provided that everyone here can get a copy, we'll do Land of the Dead. I don't know if we'll get to all three films if all three of us show up next week, just because, I mean, two fil- two films took us two hours. <laughs> yeah, probably probably best just a double feature idea. We shouldn't make it like a watch party situation. Well, we're we're in a group chat. Uh, you guys can, can brainstorm and come up with a second movie. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, um, I'm perfectly happy to sit out the decision making if you want to pick one, uh, Milton. Austin, you're you're the co-host. You have to make some of the decisions. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just here. <laughs> No, bad contract. Austin, you you realize this is our uh, this is our third episode that we've done. 
Yeah, see, you're you're the Wanda and I'm the Vision. I'm just stuck here. This is your world. <laughs> Wait, this is Wait, the episode one... four, though. What's going on? What's going on with that? What well, do you mean? John did one episode before I was on it, so this is my third one. Who's on the show with you, John? Uh, my buddy Kyle, uh, he and I started it, and then he was like, nope, I'm out. And then I wanted to ask Austin, but I was, I also get like anxious when I have to ask somebody something. And so I was just like, hey, you know, I got this podcast thing going. He's like, I can help you out. And I was like, deal. That's her. Um, the one of the other projects Austin I would like to tackle this month, probably after next week's episode. That be next week is five, so probably thick, probably like the last one in February, mm-hmm. is maybe trying to do an Evil Dead Two commentary. When I said I mentioned doing Candyman for because uh, it's Black History Month or whatever. Okay, so how's this sound? Candyman and Land of the Dead. Yeah, I haven't seen either, so both will be new to me. Give me you some culture, you cultureless swine. Alright. Okay. <laughs> that that sounded much funnier in my <laughs> as so most why, jokes do. It might, it might propose an ending transition, perhaps. Perhaps we should do some floods. That guy is Subject879 on Twitch. Watch his content. He does some awesome gameplay videos on his stuff. Uh, definitely recommend a watch for his videos. On the screen. You pointed the wrong way, but for me it's like a well, okay. well, I'm looking at this on Discord here, so it's like it's... Way to make it and... awkward, Austin. Sorry. This way, right? Yeah. yeah. There you go. You got it. And subscribe to this guy's YouTube channel. Uh, he makes funny, like, shorts and stuff. I only watched, like, a half of one of your videos, and I didn't get it, so. <laughs> Oh, God, which video was it? You were, like, promoting this cord that was unbreakable or something. Oh, it's... the supercharger. Yeah, yeah it's whatever's, yeah. like, featured on your... Because I clicked on your channel to make you a moderator because I needed the link. Because YouTube has the stupidest, like, mod feature, mod ad. You have to add their URL. You can't just type in the channel name. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 It's, YouTube's stupid. <laughs> well, we've known that for a while. So. And then check out uh, Milton Man thing here. He plays, mostly even playing just older, Nice of the Old Republic, right? Yeah, I'll probably get back to some of the other stuff. But uh, I'm, I'm making it, you know, I'm feeling it out. Any more followers, guys, please? Can I some? <laughs> well, at least John didn't watch it and go, oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> turn, turn it off halfway through. Um, I'm just glad it wasn't a more embarrassing video. <laughs> Alright, so, yeah. Uh, next week, Land of the Dead, Candyman. I'm excited to show... I'm assuming, have you... Uh, Nick, have you seen either of those? No, I've heard of them. Okay, so I'll be the only one who has seen both of them. You know what? Let's save Candyman, because I have a plan for that. The last week... So we're going to postpone the Evil Dead 2 commentary, because you just gave me an idea. The last Wednesday in February, because I think that'll be episode 6, right? Uh, We'll do Hellraiser and Candyman, since they're both Clive Barker things. 
so I'll still think of another one for next so time. So yeah, we need something for next time. Uh, so we'll we'll brainstorm on that, and then I'll I'll announce it on Twitter. Uh, horror disaster flick, maybe. They're all disaster flicks. <laughs> you know what I mean. You can do disaster movie. That's not a horror <laughs> movie. Oh, not that. Not that. Existential horror is a. It's a different. <laughs> You know how scared I was when Iron Man showed up and he's like, I am Iron Man, and then he gets crushed by a cow? <laughs> I couldn't get past, like... How do you remember that? How did you well, get that far? That movie is just terrible through and through. I mean... Most of them are terrible. I was like 12 when that came out, so I went and seen it in theaters. That's yeah, my embarrassing 12, story. That I was like, one... So, I am not ten years older than you. Oh, uh, but yeah, follow me on Twitter, subject eight seven nine. I will post whatever we decide the second movie is uh, on there as soon as the two yahoos decide. Follow me on MySpace. I'll be one of your thirteen friends or whatever. However, uh, MySpace works. <laughs> subscribe to Geek Pollution on YouTube, so uh, so Daddy will like her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can also see me in Geek Pollution. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for hanging out, guys, and we will talk at you next Wednesday. <laughs>